Yeah, warm welcome to Thursday's Richie Allen Show, the 19th of October, 2023. How are you? I'm Richie Allen with you for, well, for the duration today. Get in touch with me, please, via the app for the program or via richieallen.co.uk. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, the plan today is to run the rule over some of the big news stories of the day. Like I said, I'm sure you've got things to tell me, so do it richieallen.co.uk, where it says comment live. Do it via downloading the app for the program. If you're outside the UK or Ireland, or I should say, if you're outside the UK and you'd like to download the app, do use a VPN or virtual private network. That is how you do it. Because it might tell you, you know, the app is not available in your country. If it does tell you that, you give it the middle finger and you go and get a VPN and you surf the web in privacy, he says. I just, I'm glad I opened my emails just before, before five o'clock because Jean-Anne Crowley, my friend, my very, very, very good friend, my great friend, sent me an email. Apparently the Kilkenny Press newspaper, these days every newspaper is operating online as much as the newspapers are operating in print. So like the mail online really broke the mould. And everybody followed suit. Everybody followed them, right? So this from the Kilkenny Press today. Thank you, Jean-Anne. Excess debts. John McGuinness TD interview with Jimmy Rattigan. Jimmy Rattigan is a journalist with the Kilkenny Press. Uh, John McGuinness is a TD, a Chuck de Doyle. He's basically a, a member of parliament and he, he is Fianna Fáil, Carlo Kilkenny constituency. Yeah. Okay, and there's a nice photograph of John McGuinness standing with two massive German shepherds. And I love German shepherds. His are a bit different than my, our German shepherd. Big, mad, furry things. Anyway, uh, an in-depth interview given to Jimmy Rattigan of the Kilkenny Press in light of Mr McGuinness' decision to break government and party ranks to call for an investigation into excess mortality in the Doyle yesterday. So I haven't had much of a chance to get into this, but uh, Jimmy Rattigan has taken original research which began nearly a year ago and has run with it in the media when no one would touch it locally or nationally. This is McGuinness speaking now, the politician. He has never let up since in his support and in his conviction that this battle must be fought and will be won. Yes, so excess mortality is climbing and is ridiculous. It's crazy, really, that the national press in the UK, in Ireland, and we're talking about Ireland in this context, doesn't seem to want to doesn't seem to want to look at it. I know that Andrew Bridgen, MP, who won't be an MP for very long, very much longer, will he, <coughs> excuse me, he will certainly, more than likely, Bridgen, will not win a seat as an independent at the next general election here in the UK. But Bridgen has called for a debate in the UK Parliament. In fact, I think he has secured a debate on excess mortality, hasn't he? Has it happened yet? Let me look into that in a few minutes' time. Thank you, Jean-Anne, for that. And interesting that Athena Fall, a government TD, you know, well, Athena Fall is in coalition with, with Fine Gael, but that um, he's come out and said, yeah, 
you know, there's something very wrong here and we need to look into it. Like I said, you will have opinions on this. Reach out to me via richieallen.co.uk. Leave a message via the app. It's four minutes past the hour. I've been struggling. I've not whinged about it because I'm not a whinger, but I have been struggling these last uh, few days. Last week, really, with a bit of a chest infection, and it's kind of gone in on my, my, my throat and my sinuses, but it's no big deal. It's not going to lay me low. But you can probably hear it. I, I probably sound a, a smidgen heavy. If I do, I make no apology for it. It's uh, the time of year that is in it, as it were. Where am I going to start today? Well, look, we need all the laughs we can get. And I certainly laughed out loud to learn that Disney+, Plus, which I do not subscribe to, is uh, running a documentary on Colleen Rooney. Colleen is a wag. WAG stands for Wives and Girlfriends. It's a term, I think, that was coined when David Beckham was the captain of the England national football team in the noughties. I think that is right. Correct me if I'm wrong, I'm often wrong. But that is when we we came across WAG. The media began to obsess over the players and their wives. Now, who were the big players in 2004? 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005, 2006. Who were the big players? Beckham, obviously. Steven Gerrard, obviously. Frank Lampard, obviously. And so on. So the media were really interested. The media was really interested in the women. And wags were born, right? So anyway, remember last year, Colleen Rooney was probably the most famous. No, she's not. Well, you couldn't say Victoria Beckham is a wag. Imagine you're thinking to yourself... Am I supporting this programme for this bollocks? Is he really sitting there? I am. And you're going to take it. It's a Thursday. There's so much crazy stuff going on. I thought we'd talk about wags. And we talk generally about entertainment news for a few minutes. Wait till I open up OK Magazine in a moment and read you from page four. I won't do that. But you'll remember the Colleen Rooney. So Victoria Beckham, probably not wag. Because Victoria was very successful in her own right as one of the greatest rock and roll bands of all time, of course, the Spice Girls. Um, Ziggy Zig, ah, yeah. So she's probably not a wag. So the most famous wag then would be Colleen Rooney. Not famous for anything except for being on the arm of a very successful footballer, even if he is as thick as pig shit, which Wayne has demonstrated more than once over the years that he certainly is. So Colleen Rooney was sued by Rebecca Vardy the wife of Jamie Vardy, who's still banging them in for Leicester in the championship. Why did Rebecca Vardy sue Colleen Rooney? Well, Rooney tweeted famously that Rebecca Vardy had been leaking information about the Rooneys to the press and that Colleen had laid a trap, had laid a trap for Rebecca Vardy by feeding her information that only Rebecca would see and then Colleen would have a look to see would it end up in the newspapers and it did. Vardy sued for defamation, but the court found for Colleen Rooney, Wayne's wife. So this has been dubbed Wagatha Christie. Whoever came up with that, by the way, genius. The funniest thing I've read in years, I read today, I really did belly laugh. And maybe it's not that funny. Maybe we need laughs so much that even even the most... um, Silly, the most childish of things will make us laugh. But multiple news agencies reported today that Wayne Rooney, now this is Wayne Rooney, right, uh, got so into the trial, the defamation trial, his wife was being sued, that he said he was going to go to law school until Colleen talked him out of it. (laughs) Boy, I heard some whoppers in my time, but that tops them all. (laughs) 
Yeah. Not saying Wayne is sick now, but Wayne has to take his willy out to count to 11. They had to burn Wayne Rooney's primary school down to get him out of the third grade, right? He's so stupid is that he stopped drinking bottles of Corona in March of 2020 as a preventative measure. Anyway, this is true. Rooney's fascination with the case, according to LBC, was revealed in a documentary series released on Wednesday, Disney+. Plus. Colleen recalled cutting him off on one occasion, saying, Wayne, shut up and let the lawyer speak. Right, He was then going to apply for law school and he had all these plans, said Colleen. He was going to apply for law school. One of the lawyers, a guy called Jamie Horworth, said, Once the day was finished, we would have a little debrief with Wayne and Colleen. I hadn't dealt with Wayne that much before the trial, but he was just fascinated by the whole thing. Wayne started suggesting, like legal arguments, that we should pursue in court. (laughs) He added, the lawyer did, I'm not saying he is a modern day Colombo. At this point I passed out. I needed oxygen. I was laughing so hard when I read that. I'm not saying he is a modern day Colombo, but certainly had we given him a gown and a wig, he was bang up for asking a few questions. Why didn't they fucking do it? Why didn't they give Wayne a gown and a wig and send him in there to question Rebecca Vardy? Wow. And Rooney commented on this himself. He said, yes, it was interesting because I do like crime documentaries and in particular the different techniques the two barristers used. Brilliant. Ten minutes past the hour. I've just killed ten minutes with that. Wonderful bit of filling that. Now, to more serious issues. This is kind of serious. I, I don't understand why... I don't understand why anybody in 2023 would send their children to school of a morning. I don't get it, to be honest. I know, you'll you'll shout at me and you'll say, not everybody can afford to keep them at home, Richie. I get that. But some of the things we read, some of the things we hear going on in the UK's schools, well, they're crazy. BBC Today headline on the BBC News website reads, um, Parents say strict Spilsby school is breaching human rights. Spilsby school. Strict disciplinary measures at a Lincolnshire school are damaging damaging even children's mental health and education, according to some parents. This is so bad, right, that the parents have set up a campaign group to voice their concerns about the frequent use of isolations and suspensions at the King Edward VI Academy in Spilsby. So I think isolation is when they take a child out of a class and send them to an empty room and leave them there for a while. Suspension? Well, I was suspended three times during my, during my high school days. Each time was a three-day suspension. So you're suspended and then you come back. You give some undertaking that you won't act the bollocks again and the principal says, right, you're welcome back. And then a few weeks later, you act the bollocks again and you get another three-day suspension. You never get expelled. They just keep bringing you back, right? They didn't exclude you back then. They just kept taking you back, which, which was great. One parent said her child was reprimanded because her shoes were too shiny. Now, I've heard a lot of this over the years, parents getting in touch with me. Inf- infamously, some years ago, a parent contacted the programme to share a letter the school had sent to the parents outlining the rules about dropping the kids off to school and collecting them later on. It was astonishing, really, some of the stuff in it, using terms like, when we release your children to you, and all this sort of stuff. Anyway, the school has said, look, positive reinforcement far outweighs any sanctions. But a number of parents have said, my daughter was suspended for going to the toilet without permission. Imagine in 2023, a kid can be suspended for not holding on to her wee-wee. 
and saying, I've had enough, I'm going to the toilet. Uh, she had a medical pass, this kid. Um, we mentioned the uh, shiny shoes. That kid was put in isolation for having shiny shoes. And a number of other parents said that uh, their kids were terminated because of uniform issues. One, because the trousers were too tight. One said the school humiliated her daughter by giving her a pair of adult-sized 12 trousers to wear instead of the tight trousers. She looked like a clown, her mother said. Why would you? Is that happening? Are schools encroaching more and more? Share these thoughts with me, by the way. You can send me a WhatsApp message if you like or, or, or message me via the website or via the app for the programme. Are they getting more and more brazen schools in laying down the law? you know, and taking ownership of children in that way. Let me know if you've had any experience of this. 13 minutes it is past the hour. Let's get to the, um, let's get to the shitty news. Look, it's a Thursday and I don't care if you're brand new to the programme and you're kind of appalled by it, but I'm, I've had one of these weeks really, so I'm just going to let loose now and chill out for uh, the next wee while with you. Let's get to the shitty news, right? So Rishi Sunak, the UK Prime Minister, travelled to Jerusalem to meet Benjamin Netanyahu, the Israeli Prime Minister, who told him that Israel is preparing for a long war. That's a quote, long war with Hamas, right? That's bollocks. They're preparing to pound Gaza into dust, whatever is left of it, until the Palestinians just give up and leave the country by whatever means they can. That's how I take it anyway. That's my opinion. He asked Sunak for the continuous support of the British people. It was funny how he introduced him, actually, because Netanyahu came out on stage, didn't he, and stood in front of the press, and then he introduced Sunak, um, very kind of, um, I don't know, very staid, very theatrical, like I thought. This was uh, Netanyahu. Well, bring out the gimp. Bring out the gimp, he said, and out came Sunak to prostrate himself in front of, of, of uh, Netanyahu. Now, we also met Isaac Herzog, the Israeli president, and he said, we will stand with you in solidarity. Listen to the state of this. This is Sunak. Prime Minister, thank you for your warm words and for welcoming me to Israel. I'm just sorry to be here in such terrible circumstances. In Which circumstances now? Because it's been 12 days since the Israeli families were brutally murdered in southern Israel, which we all condemn. Are we talking about the circumstances of Gaza and the thousands that have been killed there by any chance? In the last two weeks, this country has gone through something that no country, no people should have to endure, least of all Israel, which has lived through some of the most awful scenes, the spectre of violence and terrorism every day of its existence. And I want to share the deep condolences of the British people and stress that we absolutely support Israel's right to defend itself in line with international law, to go after Hamas, to take back hostages, deter further incursions, and to strengthen your security for the long term. Now, I know that you are taking every precaution to avoid harming civilians in direct contrast to the terrorists of Hamas. Did you hear what he said there, Sonak? I mean, this is, a st this is beyond crazy. I know you were taking every precaution, he said to Netanyahu. That you are taking every precaution to avoid harming civilians in direct contrast to the terrorists of Hamas. Now, Sunak must have known that's a lie. We'll come back to that in a minute, right? So that's Sunak. What um, criticism, if any, has he received today, Sunak? Well, um, he has been criticised heavily by Daniel Levy, who's the president of the US Middle East Project, uh, which is a think tank. Levy was appearing on LBC Radio Today. Wasn't too impressed with Sunak. 
And we should hear him no, now. You're not humanizing Palestinians by saying that they are victims of Hamas or by saying that Israel has tried everything to prevent Palestinian civilian casualties. Go to Israel, empathize, wrap your arms around the Israelis in this time of pain. Can you really not find more appropriate, honest, credible language with which you can talk about the Palestinians? Tell me what because that would have sounded like. Well, you're standing next to the Israeli prime minister. I get that. Could you not go to the Rafah border crossing? Go to Egypt, make a statement from there if you don't want to do it next to the Israeli prime minister. But don't say what you said. It better not to say anything than to say Israel is taking every precaution because 1,500 Palestinian children have, have perished so far, have been killed. And that has been Israeli bombing. That's been the consequence of Israel closing all water, food, medicine, humanitarian supplies. Maybe something will start trickling in. When you hear it said like that, 1,500 children, it's abominable, isn't it? And he's saying maybe something will trickle in because tomorrow they're expecting to open a car a corridor, um, the Egyptian border. They're going to allow some aid in to uh, to Gaza, but but maybe not enough. We'll maybe talk more about that later. And that's not preventing casualties. So there's also a language of 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 inability to humanise both sides. And Rishi, our prime minister failed monumentally and the longer this goes on you're not going to have security for either sides but i worry about back here i worry about what that says to there are communities here who care deeply about israel there are communities here who care deeply about palestinians and i think the job of responsible leadership is to try and walk them both to a place where they see the humanity of the other. Daniel Levy, he's Jewish and he heads up a think tank, very unimpressed with Sunak's appearance in Jerusalem today. And just listen again to the tail end of what Sunak said before we hear from Lise Doucette, the BBC reporter in the Middle East today. Precaution to avoid harming civilians in direct contrast to the... Let's get that again. This is Sunak, right, talking about, I know you're taking precautions. Term. Now, I know that you are taking every precaution to avoid harming civilians in direct contrast to the terrorists of Hamas, which seek to put civilians in harm's way. Amazing day for him to say that, and amazing day for him to say it in Jerusalem. Because as he was talking that absolute horse shit about Israel's holistic approach to bombing the shit out of Gaza, uh, this was Lise Doucette on BBC News at 2pm. Listen to this. This is a live broadcast. So the BBC News began with Lise Doucette in Jerusalem. Listen. Welcome to the programme. I'm Ben Thompson. It has been a day of fast-moving developments. So for the very latest, let's cross live now to our chief international correspondent, Lise Doucette, who is in southern Israel. Lise. Excuse me, southern Israel. Listen. Yes, you join us as we are getting some new footage from inside the Gaza Strip, from the southern part, in the city of Khan Yunus, where hundreds of thousands of Palestinians have been sheltering or trying to seek shelter. But these images show that there has been what uh, Palestinian officials say was an airstrike by Israel on a home near a hospital in Khan Yunus. I'm warning you that there are some distressing images that we are about to show. They seem to show children, as well as United Nations aid workers, being taken to hospital after an airstrike. You can see on the left there's smoke billowing and 
after the blast, hospital workers and Palestinian residents are trying to bring children to the hospital as ambulances rush to the scene. This is Khan Yunus, right? The scene is carnage, absolute carnage. Um, it's believed Israel struck a house next to a hospital. And as she's speaking live at two o'clock this afternoon, children are being rushed in. The BBC showed this live, to be fair to the BBC, with absolutely no filter and no censorship. Kids were being rushed from cars into what was left of this hospital today when Sunak had stood um, an hour earlier on a, on a dais, on a podium, and said that, I know you are doing everything you can to minimise civilian, civilian casualties. Listen, this takes an even more crazy turn. Listen. A clearly marked UN car is also seen to be bringing people wearing UN uniforms into the medical facility. This situation, this developing crisis in Han Yunus happening now in the Gaza Strip. Yeah, they're murdering children in front of Lise Doucette on the day that her Prime Minister said, got to applaud Israel's holistic approach to bombing Gaza. And then, listen. More distressing scenes of suffering and casualties. The result, except local officials say, of an airstrike in the area. Hospitals, again, overwhelmed. Uh, in what the United Nations has described as a humanitarian catastrophe in the Gaza Strip. The UN says it's a humanitarian catastrophe. British politicians say there's a looming humanitarian crisis. Imagine. Which has been under a complete Israeli siege now, almost since the beginning of this crisis on October the 7th. And this is the situation now that the British... Bunker. We're, we're, Bunker. we're going through, the rockets are go, coming. Go, go. So we're going to leave Lise there. We'll uh, make sure that Lise is safe and able to get to a place of safety. The position she was broadcasting from came under attack from rocket fire from Gaza. The wily coyote who spent all his life chasing the roadrunner. He had better rockets than the Palestinians, by the way. But uh, that was Lise who said, I thought you might want to hear that. It's depressing shit. I know. I know it is. And I know that probably the majority of people listening to the programme, they don't care. But um, we have to talk about it. Because, at least in these terms, because who else is going to do it? And, you know, we often said on this programme, vaudeville is a term I use quite uh, often, too often, to be honest, for, the, for some. Use the term vaudeville. I don't know, to try and attempt to describe how almost I, surrealistic, how surreal things are particularly in the media, there's a feeling I get sometimes of dizziness when I have to pinch myself, I mean this, I'm not joking, to to bring myself back into the moment and to, to assure myself that I'm not dreaming that what I am hearing or have just heard is actually reality. This was amazing. I was switching around this morning and I was listening to Times Radio you know who really wishes he could get in on the action? Who's really missing out? Have you ever heard of Krishnan Guru Murthy? He's a news anchor for Channel 4. If he was a chalk ice, he'd eat himself. You know the guy, right? Um, an absolute ham, if ever there was one. Now, Krishnan Guru Murthy, who calls himself a journalist, um, is spoke to the Times Radio 
because he's a bit fed up that he's missing out on all the fun reporting on Gaza because, wait for it, he's a contestant on Strictly Come Dancing. What journalist worth his or her salt? What serious journalist? What what crusading um, searcher of facts and news would go on Strictly Come Dancing and then go on Times Radio to whinge about missing out on all the fun in the media. You want to hear self-love. You want to hear self-abuse. You want to hear narcissism. Like I said, a guy who, if he was a chalk ice, he'd eat himself. Here's Guru Murthy talking to Times Radio. I swear on your life and on mine, this is not a parody. He's missing out because he's on Strictly. I haven't thought, oh, this is the worst time to be doing Strictly. I've actually thought, I can actually learn from this. Mm. Having the balance of this great joyous thing that I'm doing and dancing and physical activity Wow! alongside switching into the news and thinking about what I'm going to be asking the Israeli ambassador tonight on Channel 4 News. Um, so it's joyous. It's joyous. I have a good old dance, a good old shindig with my partner and then it sets me up for speaking to the Israeli ambassador. This gets even more ridiculous. It's actually really good. Now, the difficulty is obviously I would like to be in Israel right now. And I nearly went to Israel last weekend. Um, I was going to go out on the Sunday and come back on the Wednesday. He was going to go out on the Sunday and come back on the Wednesday just in time for rehearsals before Strictly's even live Saturday programme. And, 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 you know, at least do a few days before coming back to do Strictly. At least do a few days before coming back to do Strictly. I swear it isn't a parody. So there are practical considerations around this that... Yes. You know. Might give him a private jet, like, private jet. Lay a private jet on for Krishnan to get him out to Gaza so he can fucking ponce around in southern Israel, act like he's really concerned about what's happening there, and then quickly get back on the private jet, back to London airport, and be in time to get his sequins on him and ponce around on a fucking dance floor with an Eastern European woman old enough to be his great-granddaughter, Right. Brilliant. Um, you are torn in that you would like to be at the story right now and the fact that I've committed to this other thing means that it's... Wait for it. He's torn because he'd like to be out in the story right now but the fact is he's committed to this other thing. You would like to be at the story right now and the fact that I've committed to this other thing means that it's not that easy. Um, God love him. This is a first world problem. But um, as soon as I'm out of Strictly, I'm sure I'll be out there and, 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 and doing that. But in the meantime... Once he gets voted out, you know what, dear listener? Make sure we vote that fucking dickhead out of Strictly this weekend so we can get him out to Gaza, where hopefully one of those rockets, which was aimed at least Doucette's head, might rebound off a lamppost and fucking take him out once and for all. Can you believe that? In a strange way, and I, 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 I'm sure it's very hard to understand, I, I actually... Try it, Krishnan. I actually find it kind of helps me switch into um, both serious and strictly quicker, um, having these two very intense things going on at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> it's helpful to switch from really intense news reporting into strictly and back. It's helpful having these really intense things going on at this particular time. That is a guy who fronts up Channel 4's news coverage. You've heard me, you've read my articles on this for years, what has happened to the news. I don't think we'll ever top that. That is astounding. Love to be out there. Thought about going out there on a Sunday, seeing a bit of carnage, coming back, getting into rehearsals, ready for the live show on the Saturday. 
Krishnan Guru Murthy. When he was born, the doctor knocked his mother out. I would imagine. I'm Richie Allen. This is Bruce the Boss Springsteen. That is Bruce Springsteen and this life from an album called Working on a Dream. This is the Richie Allen Show Thursday's edition. It is 28 minutes to the top of the hour. I'm Richie Allen. A rather wound up presenter today. Let me read a few comments. I appreciate them. Thank you for sending them in. Number of comments on Murthy. Guru Murthy. We'll get to them in a minute. Craig says war is war. Someone somewhere will justify it. I dare anyone to take a good, long, hard look at thousands of years of history. Human nature simply hasn't changed enough for it to be any other way. That's a generalisation, I think. He then says he would urge caution in taking sides in this subject, as it is a certainty that we do not have all the most important facts, and that this conflict may very well be masking something else. Now, I'm very interested in Craig suggesting that this conflict might be masking something else because there's a bit of logic there. Yeah, of course, when you're being urged, and by you, I mean we, I mean the watching world is being asked to look over here, quite often something is happening somewhere else. I totally get that. As far as the important facts on Gaza, on Palestine, well, um, I'm not going to give the lecture I, I've given in the past as a historian. The only important facts are this or these. There is no moral case for Israel's right to exist. Okay? Its only claim to legitimacy is a biblical one. Remember Golda Meir? This country exists as the accomplishment of a promise made by God himself. And then he said it would be absurd, then she, it would be absurd to call its legitimacy into account. Right? The treaty, Sykes-Picot, carving up the Ottoman Empire, the Balfour Declaration, illegal under international law. What happened in 1947 was effectively the same thing that happens every now and then in South Manchester. Some travellers, not all because some are good, some are not so good, some travellers will take over a soccer pitch. They will break into a soccer pitch, break the lock on the gate, and they will drive their caravans onto private property a soccer pitch or pitches owned by a community club and they will be there for a week or two until the police can eventually get rid of them. That is what happened in Palestine. That is what happened in Palestine when the Haganah, Ergun and the Stern gang expelled nearly 800,000 non-Jews, mostly Palestinians from the country. And ever since then, it's been brutality for the Palestinians. Those are the important facts. I, I'm not aware of any other facts pertaining to the situation in, in Gaza Feel free, Craig, to share them with me if there are any other important facts and don't throw Hamas at me or murder or terrorism because I don't condone it at all. The right is on the side of the Palestinians and that's all there is to it. And that is a, an objective fact. That's not subjectivity. That's not me on a soapbox. It is a fact. But I like the fact that you say, well, while everybody is looking over there, something else might be happening that might be equally interesting to us but uh, our focus is not on that. I get it. That is what happens. That is known as the one gigantic fart theory. One gigantic fart, like killing thousands of people in Gaza, 
after thousands were killed in Israel before that, is a gigantic fart. And a huge fart covers a load of little squeaky farts, a load of silent farts elsewhere. Yes, it's a crude way of putting that, but but I get it. Thank you for your messages. I really appreciate them. Um, Cliff says, Richie, listening to the first part of the show, says Cliff, it's like living in some sort of parallel universe filled with complete nutters. Hats off, he says, for providing balance week in and week out and staying calm most of the time. Thank you, Neil, for your message. Bobsky says, Richie, I appreciate the uh, subjects you cover and uh, give way to the opposition in any case and actually have an open conversation. A number of you have been commenting on my chat with uh, Kevin Barrett yesterday. Uh, a number of you have been very critical in emails, and I don't mind that, saying that I interrupted him too often. I didn't. Kevin had plenty of time to speak. I did my job. I, I put the other side to him. And he, I, I thought he did very well, Kevin, as he always does. Um, Paul says, Richie, the strictly moron, he says, imagine putting your ego before your feelings for people who are being slaughtered over there, left, right and centre. His words played out like a sketch from the Fast show. It's amazing to behold, really. We're of an age where we've witnessed a total dumbing down of current affairs reporting and its fusion with celebrity culture. Well, what, what happened in the mainstream media has happened in the independent media. For 99.99% of mainstream presenters and for 99.99% of independent media content creators, they are the story. The story itself, the news item and the people suffering it are not the story. The story is the presenter. The presenter is the personality and the story is a prop. And the incidents that he or she is reporting on, they become a prop to elevate the presenter and to make them popular. And nobody can deny this. I mean, it's an absolute fact. I mean, the independent media is a cesspool of wannabe idiots, isn't it? Narcissistic, um, fame-hungry people who use the Great Reset and other agendas basically to try and get a bit of limelight for themselves. And twas ever thus. That's what's happened to the mainstream media. Guru Mercy, in his own mind, is a very important person. Whereas when I learned to produce news and to present it, we were told, be heard, but seldom seen, and don't be heard that much, you know? You know, present some facts, get an interviewee, get a bit of balance, and then shut up. We were told we couldn't advertise products, we were told we couldn't do this, we couldn't do that, we had to be holier than thou, and we basically had to be invisible when we were not on air to give some credibility or to lend some credibility to the station and to, to reinforce in the minds of people who listened that these guys can be trusted. Look at them. They don't have anything to do. They, 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 they're not involved in anything. They do the news and then they go home. But that's changed. And now when Guru Murthy interviews somebody, that person is there to, 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 to double down on the on the editorial policy of Guru Murthy himself or the station. Guests are props. These are my opinions. Let me introduce you to Mr. X. And then Mr. X comes on and he's got the same opinions. Watch GB News, watch Talk TV, watch Channel 4 News. That's how it is. There is no opposition. There is no debate. It's as boring as our souls. And we all know our souls are boring, right? And it's happened in the independent media too. 
thousands of podcasts, some of them well presented and well produced, of people sitting down, telling you how it is, and then introducing somebody who agrees with them. It is monumental bollocks. And it is tiresome. It really is. And I'm boring myself because I've said this too many times. It is time to read more of your comments. Thank you. Hi to Richard, who says, Oliver Reed and Peter O'Toole did strictly years before Krishnan liver dance, he says. I see what you did there. David says you need a TV licence to vote in Strictly. Surely not. Are you telling me that when you go to vote on Strictly Come Dancing, you've got to have your TV licence number and you must input that? Is that true? Hi to Anne, uh, who says, don't assume that we don't care. I don't mean you, Anne. I don't mean you. I mean the majority of people don't care about Gaza. Karen says, Richie, to me it makes no sense for Hamas to attack Israel in the way we have been told. Surely they would know that the, the reprisals would be so severe and of such a murderous velocity it would almost render the Palestinians extinct. I get that, Karen, and I'm, I'm very open to the possibility that the Israelis had intelligence to tell them it was coming and they stood down because it took six hours. And even really good friends of mine who scorn on shows like this. Yes, you might ask, how could you be their very good friend if they scorn on your show? Because I like them anyway. Because I, I do, right? Um, good friends of mine have said, I do not believe it, it could have taken the Israeli military six hours to respond 12 days ago. And that's a good sign. So, Karen, I'm with you on that. Mohammed says, this is a war on Muslims, Richie. Not just this war, but previously. I think Muslims have had enough. I genuinely dread what is about to happen, says Mohammed. Thanks for your message. Mohammed, I appreciate that. I too, Gabriel, who says, and that's a very, I'm not reading anything that's beyond two paragraphs. Thank you, Gabriel, because I just can't. Um, hi to Alice, who says, thank you, uh, Alice. I'm not interested in your comment either. Um, any comments about me personally or my personal health? Not only will I not read the comment out, but I'll never read out your comment ever again. My personal health and my personal business are none of your fucking business. When you comment on the programme, comment on the issues we're talking about. Comment on the news, on the stories I'm running down. Anything personal, you'll be banned. And that's the end of it. I've had enough of you now. One or two of you. Uh, uh, Richie says, as I understand it, Andrew Bridgen has the penultimate slot on a Friday afternoon. So don't be surprised if they run the clock down or if he's the only one there to speak, says Richie. Thanks, Richie. Yeah, I, never, I was never too thrilled about Andrew Bridgen. Hi to Pete in Salford, who says he believes the Andrew Bridgen debate on excess mortality is tomorrow. Allocated the graveyard slot, as we've heard um, already from, from Richie. Um, Friday afternoon in the Commons, when most MPs will have gone home, disgusting absence of interest from our elected representatives. That's from Pete in Salford. Thank you, Pete. I appreciate it. Now, um, this is interesting because it's an ongoing theme in news at the moment, it's the claim that um, anti-Semitism is on the rise in the UK and something needs to be done about it. Now, it isn't. It isn't on the rise in the UK, but let's have a listen to this. And I think we can tie this in with the online harms bill, which passed the House of Commons. It was given the nod in the House of Lords. It's now waiting for old jug ears to sign off on it and to give it royal assent. You think you live in a democracy? Of course you don't. Don't be silly. Right, so they're queuing up to say anti-Semitism is on the rise and we need to do something about it. This is from The Times, and I nabbed this from my own website today. It's an article about Robin Simcox, 
who says Britain has become a permissive environment for anti-Israel extremism and anti-Semitism because of mass migration and a lack of integration. Mm. Do you know what he's doing there, Robin Simcox? He's courting conservatives or he's court courting the alt-right if such a thing exists. You know the people who spend most of their time talking about migration, and I have no problem with that because they've got a very good point. Open-door migration policies are sinister, counterproductive, seriously damaging to communities and very divisive. So I totally agree. I'm just saying, right? So what he's doing here is he's courting this alt-right kind of crowd, if I can say it like that, um, which, which spends most of its time talking about migration. So by saying that anti-Semitism and anti-Israel extremism is on the rise um, and, and, and laying the blame somewhat at the door of mass migration and a lack of integration, this is very interesting. He's courting the Tommy Robinson Brigade, right? This guy was um, appointed by the government to be the UK's counter-extremism uh, commissioner. He says that hatred directed towards the Jewish community since the attack by Hamas on Israel was a sign of how anti-Semitism has become normalised in the UK. This is bollocks. We know this because when the Communities Securities Trust, which is a group, the CST, a charity, which provides security advice for British Jews, think about it, if you're the Community Security Trust, a charity, and you depend on funding, and it's your job to provide security advice for British Jews, well, you're always going to be telling British Jews that they're in danger, aren't you? You're in danger. Hey, Jewish friends, you're in danger. Anti-Semitism is on the rise. Give us more money, says the CST charity. Anyway, they've been on Sky and they've been on the BBC in recent days. I've played some of the clips and they claim that anti-Jewish hate is on the rise. And only one presenter had the courage to ask them. I'm not going to play the clip because I played it earlier in the week. And that was Kay Birdie, the Ginger Ninja. And Kay said to them, what exactly is happening? Give us some examples. And they couldn't. They said it's mostly verbal. This is true. So this anti-extremism Tsar, uh, right, the UK's counter-extremism commissioner, he says that anti-Semitism is being normalised in the UK and he mentions the CST who say, by their own admission, when you ask them, tell us about this anti-Jewish hate that's on the rise in the UK, uh, it's mostly verbal. Is it? Mostly verbal. And then they don't give any examples. And I can imagine the sort of stuff. Because of policing has changed so dramatically in recent years, if I was to be running around Manchester, around Canal Street, which I wouldn't do, because I've always had a live and let live approach to life, and if a man believes he's a woman, God love him, you can believe you're a woman all you like, pal. Wear your dresses, wear your clogs, I don't give a shit. Just um, don't ask me to participate, that's all I ask. But if I was to run around Canal Street every now and then and I was to see a trans person across the canal having a drink, having a martini or something and I was to say, Oh, you big fucking dirty tranny, you! Right? Now, the trans person could ring up the police and they would record that as a non-crime hate incident but even though it's non-crime it would go into the statistics and later on in the year when all the figures come out that would be added to the hate crime figures. And ultimately, they remove the hate part and they say it's a crime. Even though it isn't a crime, I wouldn't be arrested. I'd probably be cautioned or spoken to by a police officer and we'd all live happily ever after. So when the CST and others say anti-Jewish hate crime is on the rise, they mean that every now and then, 
and this is when a Jewish person can be bothered to report it, by the way, because I know a few Jewish people, and if you walked up to them and swore at them and were made some derogatory remarks about their religion and blamed them for Gaza, they'd knock you the fuck out. They really would knock you the fuck out and they'd leave you there and go about their business. I know one or two tough Jews. They wouldn't call the police, you see. So that's what's going on. There isn't any evidence that there's any animosity or building or growing animosity towards Jews. There's none. But listen to this guy, Simcox, the counter-extremism commissioner, because he was on Times Radio again today, or featuring Times Radio today, where he tries to justify his, um, what his point of view. The prevalence of anti-Semitism, I see it more than I used to. It becomes more normalised than it used to, than it used to be, and I think people are emboldened in a way to celebrate, for example, the attacks on, on Israel in a way that they wouldn't, I think Israel is viewed differently. I think if this terrorist attack had happened in the US, the UK or France, you wouldn't have had people out on the street in the same way celebrating it. I would suggest that's because Israel and at times Jews are viewed differently. The piece makes the uh, argument that there has become, that there is an environment that exists across the UK today with a whole range of factors playing into it that has led to this atmosphere where there is almost like a kind of normalisation um, and acceptance of hatred of Israel, I think, specifically, but then that... There's, there's some good reasons to hate Israel, though. The presenter is a guy called Stig Abel. Stig Abel is as useful as a man with no arms and no legs in an Olympic swimming pool. That's how useful he is, right? Because you've got to interject there. You've got to interject and say, listen, people might believe they've got some good reasons for hating Israel. But that doesn't mean anything to Jews in London or in Manchester. Israel is ripe for the hating for some people because of what Israel does, right? Pause into uh, Jewish communities more broadly in the UK because these two issues get conflated in a way that they should not because obviously Israel is not the same as British Jews, but it does. But it does, he says. Anything at all from the guy doing the programme. And so you could, uh, I would point to examples, I mean, you can point to a range of historic ones, but just from the last... Uh, couple of weeks. I got excited here now because he said I've got some examples of this anti-Jewish hatred, right? You've had in the wake of the largest slaughter of Jews since the Holocaust, um, people take into the street and, and you may have seen the footage of fireworks being set off outside the Israeli embassy in the wake of that attack. That suggests to me that's not a that's not a demonstration on behalf of pro-Palestinian rights. But what gives you the right to say that? I mean, they were carrying Palestinian flags, they were wearing T-shirts in support of the state of Palestine, right? That was a glorification of a, what I thought was the most barbaric and consequential terrorist attack since 9-11. Wow, right, OK. The presenter, any time? They would say, actually, no, no, we must be allowed. We must be allowed in a free society to articulate the, the, the need for there to be uh, freedom for Palestinian people. And we do that by protesting, we do that by marching, we do that by marching loudly. That is a fundamental right that we must be allowed to have. Yeah, and, and the point I'm making today isn't one about new laws or becoming a more draconian society. I just have to make an observation, as honest observation as I can in, in my role as advisor to the, the government on extremism about what I see. And what I see disturbs me because you I mean look at things like the... Uh, BDS campaign specifically focused on Israel, Palestine action specifically focused on Israel. I see things on campus where Jewish students seem to be increasingly unsafe, uncomfortable there. 
I don't like the way these things are developing. I think that we need to, well, my view would be we need to acknowledge it as a society because we've got this amazing, wonderful, multi-ethnic democracy in this country, but it relies on a basic level of integration, right? And so... So you don't think integration is happening? I think the scenes over the last couple of weeks would suggest that we've got a problem. Yeah, I think we've got a problem. We've got a problem, he says. Now, interestingly, on the same programme, Tom Tugentat is a Tory MP. He's also a security minister. Strangely enough, and I thought this was strange, Tugentat doesn't agree that there is a normalisation of anti-Semitism in the UK. Tory MP, Security Minister Tom Tugentat. No, I don't agree with that. I think that the United Kingdom is, an is a country and, uh, and an environment in which we take all threats to any communities extremely seriously. And you just have to uh, look at the response over the last 10 days, uh, the way that the Prime Minister, uh, the Home Secretary and I and many others have uh, been uh, reaching out to the Jewish community, making sure that policing is appropriate, visiting uh, areas where the Jewish community is particularly prominent in places like Golders Green, uh, to give reassurance. And the way in which we've been engaging as well uh, with the Muslim community, some of whom are feeling also vulnerable at this time and feeling stigmatised. And we're making sure that every citizen of the United Kingdom, everybody who's living in the United Kingdom, feels quite rightly... Uh, as they should, safe and able to conduct uh, their well, private life well, as they should. Well, this guy, Robin Simcox, who is a government appointment, he's connected to the Home Office. And this, this has the smack of Suella Braverman's position generally, actually. He says this should be a wake-up call to all decent people, these hate marches, as he calls them. And he says this is down to poor integration and mass migration, a three-decade-long failed policy mix of mass migration and multiculturalism. The failure of multiculturalism in this country has led to an anti-Israeli uh, sentiment being allowed to flourish. You see why I said the alt-right would love this? And maybe this explains why some of the alt-right, I don't know what you'd call them, but some of the more prominent alt-right commentators, some of them with the biggest followings, they've gone in with two feet in support of Israel from day one, haven't they? They love this stuff now, because this suits their argument, right? That Jews are in danger because of uh, unfiltered or unfettered or even unencumbered migration. Um, if you don't agree with that, are you disappointed he's saying it like that? Look, I think the United Kingdom has demonstrated one of the most remarkable achievements uh, of Western Europe and actually uh, of, of the wider world, where we have got a multi-ethnic society that has, as the Prime Minister put it himself in his conference speech, we have an Indian Prime Minister, but it doesn't matter. We have a Home Secretary of Indian origin, but it's not relevant. We have a Foreign Secretary of African origin, but that's not what matters about him. The ability for this society, for this community, to bring in people from around the world and to make people not only feel at home, but actually feel not just part of our society, but champions of it, is a remarkable achievement of the United Kingdom and mm, the British people. A lot of people would disagree that multiculturalism has been a success in this country. A lot of people would disagree with that. It's coming up to five and a half minutes to the top of the hour. You're with the Richie Allen Show, Thursday's programme, flying solo today. Lots more to talk about. Lots of your comments to get through. And then we'll move away from Israel and Palestine, won't we? And talk about something else for a few minutes. It's been, uh, it's been a strange old week, so it has. Just, just thinking about that, you know, I've, I've received a ton of emails from people dismayed, people who have spent many years, you know, discussing Palestine, Gaza, Israel, and they invested quite a bit of themselves in some of these 
I, I hate these terms, but I don't know what else you'd call them. Let's call them conservative commentators. You know, the ones who spend most of their time talking about migration or culture wars. Which I have no problem with because these are obviously important issues, but they're symptoms really of a much bigger problem, right? So some of these conservative commentators who spend most of their time on culture wars and what have you, um, they've let down a lot of people. They haven't let me down because I, I, I just don't care. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. But those who have supported the plight of the Palestinian people, they've been pretty shocked, I think, in the last week or so at the tone of the commentary by people that they found themselves having so much in common with during the COVID scam. Like I said, these are really interesting times, aren't they? And that's a cliche, that. That's, a, that, that's one to avoid. Avoid cliches at all costs. Interesting doesn't quite cut it, really. You're with the Richie Allen Show. My name is Richie Allen, the 19th of October, 2023. The programme is archived on Podomatic.com. It's on iTunes, Spotify, every programme. If you missed any in the week, you know where to go to pick it up. Wait, wait, wait. And sweet surrender. Is there something about the human condition? Forget about what's happening in, in Gaza. And if we can for a minute, let's not talk about it for the rest of the programme. Whatever's left in the programme today, because it, we've focused so much on it in the last two weeks, because obviously it's important. And I totally take Craig's point that um, while it's genuinely happening... It isn't uh, wag the dog. It's actually going on. It it might very well be covering for something else that's happening or distracting the world's attention away from something else. Yeah, 100%. And I, I've read a number of very well put together tweets and messages from commentators saying, God, we don't hear very much about Ukraine at all now. It's as if Ukraine and the invasion of Ukraine, if you want to call it that, and the war, if you want to call it that, it's almost like it's come to a standstill. Great. You know the really frustrating thing? And it wouldn't matter if I had, say, a team. If we had a team of brilliant journalists, people you could trust, ethical journalists, people who would be pursuing the truth and nothing else, it actually wouldn't matter. If we, at the Richie Allen Show, because it's your show and my show, it's our show, right? If we had 12 people, we'd never find out. It's, it's next to impossible to determine what's going on. Somebody said to me in the park this morning, I meet a fireman, would you believe? Lovely chap, he's not far away from retirement. He works um, for the fire service in Greater Manchester and he's got a couple of little dogs and because he's on very early, he put his time in, you see, he put his time in over 35 years and now he gets to do day shifts only. No three shifts for my fireman friend. Let's call him Sam, right? Fireman Sam. We're chatting away with Sam. There was a reason I brought Sam up and I can't remember now. I'm tired this week. You know when you get that chest infection? I've been struggling to breathe this week and um, I'm tired. Why did I bring up my fireman friend? Anyway, look, forget about it. It'll come back to me in a minute. So so, so back to that preamble about um, trusting people. You know, so if we leave out the, the big stories and, and what's happening there um, and, and we, 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 we don't talk about... Because I was going to say, I was going to talk about pe- people getting on I was thinking of solutions. I'm definitely rambling now, but I'm going to come back to my point. My point was, do you remember back when things were at their darkest in the COVID days and the pandemic in inverted commas days? Remember when things were were pretty dark and everybody was a bit fed up? A number of people came on this programme. They talked about forming parallel communities. 
parallel societies, trying to coexist, accepting that the Great Reset was going to happen, whether we liked it or not, and wondering if we could create parallel communities, self-governing communities, where you could ignore them and their central bank digital currencies and all of that. And I was thinking today, and it's not about... Don't think it's about Israel, Palestine or, or Ukraine or Russia because it's very immature to talk about those conflicts in terms of, oh, people just can't get on. Because most people who get their news from the BBC and Channel 4, they don't really understand why things happen. And they do talk in cliches like, um, why can't people just get on? <laughs> and you're tempted to say, is there something wrong with the human condition that we just can't get on? Because prejudices and, um, I don't know, competitiveness and other things come to the fore, making it difficult for you to live in cohesion and harmony with people. So you can't apply that to Israel and to Palestine because something else is going on there. But in terms of creating a parallel community, do you really think that those could ever really work? Even if, let's just pretend for a minute that the deep state or the big state, the new state, the new great reset state where everything is controlled and monitored, everything you do, social credit systems, all of that, right, heat pumps for your house, right, demerits for people who don't toe the line and all of this, right. Imagine they said, okay, you can live in the wilderness if you like and we'll ignore you, almost like Stephen King's book The Stand. You've got the baddies in in Las Vegas, right? And you've got the good guys living in Boulder, Colorado. If you've not read the book or seen the movie, you won't have a clue what I'm talking about. The baddies are led by some satanic type figure and the goodies are living in Boulder, Colorado. This is after a flu virus, funnily enough, has wiped out nearly the entire population of the earth. And even in the good community in Boulder, Colorado, where people are good, the old ways kind of come back Stephen King writes about this brilliantly, that petty differences and petty squabbles and competitiveness and people wanting to be in charge ultimately gets in the way of it, that people just cannot coexist and come together and say, right, we leave ego at the door, we leave titles at the door, you know, we leave competitiveness at the door, I don't want to be somebody in this new community, I can accept that I am part of the community and that is all I am. Jesus, dear listener, I don't know what I do, because I couldn't put a fucking nail in a wall, to be honest. I couldn't build to save me life. I couldn't put a bit of wallpaper. Maybe none of that would matter if you had a new community in the wilderness. I don't know what I'd do. I've got a pair of arms and a pair of legs, so I'd probably be a labourer. Give me a wheelbarrow. I'll push that shit to the edge of the ravine for you and I'll dump it. That's what I would do. But I wouldn't have anything else to bring. Maybe I could be a Shanachie. Maybe I could tell a few stories. But the stories would get old very quickly like my stories get old very quickly on this programme, right, you might say. Is it possible, do you think? And I know, I know some of you, and I love you for it, you're so positive. I know you're so positive, you'll come back, oh yeah, of course it's possible. But it's never worked anywhere, has it? It's never worked. Look at some of the organisations that popped up over the years in an attempt to fight back against the Orwellian tyranny. Organisations like, and I know you're going to say... Many of these organisations were infiltrated, I know, and you're, you know you're probably right, most of the time they probably were, but you know, grassroots organisations that start up to go out and gather people around, to, to meet people, to challenge people, to bring the news to the public, 
more often than not, they all end up falling apart because of ego and jealousy, don't they? I saw this in London back in 2013 when two or three dozen people came together to make the People's Voice television. You know, the people who quickly realised that being in front of the camera wasn't really for them because it wasn't the skill they had. And that's not an important skill, by the way. You know it isn't. I'm not being modest here. I don't think what I do is important. No, no, no let me scratch that. It is important. Um, interviewing people who've got an alternative take on reality is important. So I'm not, saying, I'm not fishing for compliments here. But look, it's not in the grand scheme of things. Tonight somewhere, some man or woman will cut somebody's head open and will use a scalpel to relieve some pressure on their brain and save their life. That's important. And that's hugely important, right? Um, so in the grand scheme of things, right. So we've seen this. I saw this in London. People came together. And I'm thinking about this now because I think things are going to get very dark. And I think the only, for me and for mine, I think our only option is to find a house somewhere in Europe in the countryside. Something cheap and just bury ourselves there. And I'm not joking, by the way. This is what we're thinking about and talking about. Not tomorrow, not next month, but we're thinking about it. But this idea before the isolated house in the countryside, right, ripe for a haunting, right? But before that, this idea that a parallel society. I saw what happened in London in 2013 when people came together to build a television station that would do everything, would do the opposite of the BBC, of Sky and ITN. People who came together and who said they knew what was going on. They knew about Agenda 2030. This was terrible. We want to help. We want to help with this TV station. It collapsed for two reasons. One, because the people who ran it were idiots. I mean, they were morons in the extreme. You know, you need a couple of million quid to start the television station, at least. Um, the money ran out very quickly. That was a big problem. They did a telethon. But you know the real reason it collapsed? was because of the petty jealousies, the infighting, the me, 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 me attitude, the narcissism of many of those involved in it. When it dawned on them that they were not going to become famous, that they were not going to be given the primetime news anchor slot because really they didn't have any credentials to do that. They brought it to its knees. So I submit it to you, dear listener. That was a simplistic, by the way, that was a kind of a cliff notes. There's a there's a British version of the cliff notes, right? That was a very roundabout way of describing it. But but centrally, largely, that is exactly what happened. Do you honestly believe that with perfect strangers, mostly perfect strangers, even if the tyrants we talk about every day on this programme, even if they said, right, fuck off, we'll 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 turn a blind eye to you, we we will exile you and leave you to your own devices. Do you think it could be successful? Do you think that people's characteristics, do you think that humanity, do you think that the human condition would not get in the way? Because I think the human condition would get in the way. That's very pessimistic of me, isn't it? What do you reckon? Has it ever worked anywhere? Winter's on its way and so are colds, flu and other respiratory illness. <laughs> a robust immune system and vitamin D3 are your weapons in the fight to keep healthy when things get chilly. Immunex 365 vitamin capsules from NutraHealth 365 combine effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2. 
as well as zinc and quercetin to give your body that winter boost at just two capsules a day. Plus, for your peace of mind, all NutraHealth 365 orders come with free two-day track delivery. Visit NutraHealth365.com now and get winter ready. NutraHealth365, I really like Eamon and the company, so check them out, okay? NutraHealth365.com, boost yourself for, for winter. I really should have asked the question or posed the question I just posed for a phone and shouldn't I? Maybe we will. Maybe we'll talk about it next week. You sound like you've got a bit of a downer, Baldy. I don't. It's been a tough week. It has been a tough week. Um, a um, little bit of illness. Not a, not a serious illness, but uh, breathlessness and what have you has been a problem for me this week. A little bit of an infection, but uh, it does bring you down. It makes you very tired. And yes, sometimes the 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 middle-aged bloke balding, baldy, can sometimes tend towards the grumpy side of things, can, can tend to grump, can tend to grump. It's not that, really. I, I've, I've had a downer on people ever since March 2020. Everything changed for me in March 2020. You know, it really did in terms of, I, I found myself just caring a little bit less about strangers. Not about the people I know, not about the people I love, not about you, and I'm not in any way patronising you or brown-nosing you, not about you, but just about people. I just lost interest in them, the behaviour of people, you know, in, in that time period. So that's not a new thing. So, so I ask myself this all the time. Could parallel societies be successful or would they be brought low? Is there a gene in human beings and every one of us? that desire to be more important, for attention, to to lead, to get credit, to be the one calling the shots. Do all of us have an inherent, do we all have an inherent, um, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for here? Do we, or not all of us, because it couldn't be all of us, but do too many of us, and this is a good thing too, have an issue, an inbuilt issue with authority, with taking instructions from others. I do. I do. I I was very difficult to manage. I've said this before over the years. I was good, so they put up with me. I'm not boasting. I was good, so they put up with me. But um, I don't mean diva now or, or ideas about myself. I just don't have an awful lot of time for idiocy and for laziness and sloppiness. I'm a hard worker. So I would occasionally let fly at people. I did once or twice in London when people were being lazy and not doing what they were supposed to be doing when they were well paid for it. I was quick to say as the presenter, listen, what the fuck is going on? Do your job, please, because I'm on air in an hour. I'm going to look like a dickhead if you don't do what you're supposed to do, please. But that's as far as I would go. Could it work? William says, Richie, there is a gentleman in England trying to set up a community in the woods. He has a YouTube channel called The Woodlander. It could be worth hearing him. Maybe. Maybe. I don't want to live in the woods though, William. No way. I've never been camping. In that sense, I am a diva. You're not getting me into a sleeping bag. In a tent. I'm not having it. I rejected the scouts outright. I was in the Cubs because they had a football team. As soon as somebody asked me to make a fucking reef knot, I was gone. Thanks very much. I'm out the door, thank you. I kept my Bob a job money. I stole it. When you were in the Cubs in Waterford years ago, you had to raise money for the Cubs to pay for the outings. So you got a card with 20 lines in it and you had to go around your neighbours and knock on the door and say, Bob a job. 
and they would give you 50p if you mowed their lawn or if you went to the shop. And I managed to get eight out of 20. I got eight lines filled, got about seven quid, kept it, kept it. I spent it on Monster Munch. I spent it on Monster Munch, Mars bars and some cheap uh, fizzy cola. Peter Kay would say roller cola, some cheap shit coke. And then I got a spanking for that. And that was the end of the Cubs. So I'm not living in the woods, uh, William, thank you. No, if we have a community somewhere where we try to kind of live in parallel with a tyrannical state somewhere 100 miles away, we, we've got to have a mansion and a swimming pool, or, or I'm not going. It's as simple as that. Richard says, Richie, in my opinion, if we all simply concentrated on our own countries, then our own county... Sorry, if we concentrated on our own countries, our own county then on our own town and our own family, these controllers would not be able to play with us the way they are playing with us right now. Thank you. That's an interesting take on it. I appreciate that very much. Graham says, Richie, the best part of TPV was Gareth Ike's music show. It was brilliant. It was very good. It was let down by some very bad production and a terrible set, but it was very good and Gareth was very good presenting and he was perfect for that. Kev says, Richie, no chance. The seven deadly sins are the things that bring society down. I loved the movie Seven, by the way. Katie says, Richie, in the winter, I swear by a drop of oregano oil under the tongue morning and evening. Thank you, Katie. Listen, I do receive healing, by the way. You know, I don't go to Big Pharma when I'm not feeling well. In fact, I do not take anything. I don't take antibiotics. I don't take anything. I do use the the salbutamol inhaler every now and then. Not very often because my lungs are very strong because I'm a runner. See my Twitter video today. But uh, every now and then. But no, I don't go to Big Pharma. I get a bit of healing. Chris Bond says, I'm with you on that, pal. Mask wearers outside my shop waiting for the bus. Is that right now? Jason says, Richie, could it be possible that Israel wants all the Jews around the world to feel threatened so they will return to Israel and take over Palestine? Jason, your guess is as good as mine, pal. Kay came back to say, look at the parallel communities, she says. Look at March 2020. Supermarket shelves empty. Home delivery slots taken by people who were not at risk from the virus. Selfishness everywhere you looked. How could an alternative society work, says Kay. That takes me back, Kay. I nearly got ejected from Tesco in Salford by some big burly security guards, one of whom I'm quite pally with these days, funnily enough, because um, I kind of had a bit of a meltdown in March of 2020 when people were running past me with shopping trolleys full of toilet roll and other people were trying to grab some of the toilet roll from the trolleys of passers-by this was resulting in people screaming abuse at themselves. This really happened. I told you this back in March 2020. I lost. I had a, a complete meltdown. I did. And started making sheep noises at the top of my voice in the middle of the store until the manager came and asked me to leave and some security came. And the only thing that saved me from getting into a fist fight with the employees of Tesco was I was known to some of the women there who I would see most mornings when I popped in to buy my bits and bobs and they came over and said he's alright he's just having a bad day I'll never forget it it was crazy wasn't it Simon says forget your parallel community as they will hunt you down wherever you go thanks Simon <laughs> Isabel says Richie about the stand 
parallel community, you'd make a great town crier. That's it. It's better than working as a labourer, isn't it? I'd make a great town crier. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. All is well and all of that. Luke says, thank you. Yes, build the alternative to the authoritarian system that keeps growing and eventually destroys you. Have people lost their effing minds, says Luke. I think Luke means that even if the powers that are not really, because they're only powerful because we give them power, if they said, right, go ahead, off you go, we will allow you live outside of our control, before too long they'd come for you, Luke says. They'd come for you. They probably would, Luke. I'll go along with that as well. Rich Mortimer says, don't forget the Pokemon hunters. Indeed. Who could forget them, Rich? Jan says, plenty of people live in tribal communities in peace. Humans, per se, are not the problem. It is how we've been brought up and our surrounding environment. Now, Jan, of course, has taken the wind out of my sails. Because, yes, it would appear, although we don't have the benefit of a time machine, but it would appear that tribes, tribes, indigenous tribes in Australia, in Africa, in Central and Southern America, it would appear that the tribes were able to live in perfect harmony without much of a hierarchical hierarchical structure, without much really of a kind of imposed rule of law or societal you must do, societal must do's. I'm choosing my words very poorly here for somebody who fancies himself as being pretty loquacious. But yes, we believe that indigenous tribes in countries around the world have managed to survive where they all get on and everybody has a role and there isn't any of that drama about narcissism. But generally in those societies, they would appear to have in common something very important which we've lost. And that is, they pay a lot of attention to their elders, don't they? They pay a lot of attention to the older people in the tribe. In fact, usually the leader, if there is a leader of the tribe, and there usually is somebody whom, if one or two members have got a dispute, they would bring it to the elder, and the elder's got wisdom and experience, and the, the elder would say, okay, you over there, a bit like Judge Judy, a bit like Judge Judy, right? Not so much Judge Rinder, we don't like him because he's gay. No, not because he's gay. Not because he's gay. We don't like him because he's a pompous arse. We like Judge Judy. And Judge Judy would be like the elder and they would say, right, you, over there, quick, what's going on? He stole my grain. Did you? No. And then the elder would determine who's most likely telling the truth and would give a ruling. Yeah. So could you do that in 2023 in the woods just outside Birmingham? just outside Nottingham, you've got your new community, you're running away from the Great Reset, do you think you could do it? Do you, do, do you think it would work? It could work, because I don't. I'm very pessimistic today. Hi to Rob. Rob says the Woodlander, following on from William's comment, is setting up a scheme where people come together and donate money to buy land. You see, already I'm thinking scam, Rob. Already I'm thinking scam. The minute we hear this, people, come and give me your money and we'll buy land. The next thing, he'll be asking you to take a little drink of this Kool-Aid. Have some Kool-Aid there. Next thing, you're dead. I'm only joking. I'll check this guy out, the Woodlander, um, and see is there anything to him. I'm not sure about it. To be honest, I don't know. Who is he? I mean, what is known about the guy? You know? You've got to take a lot at face value with these people, don't you? When they 
make such proposals, present such um, initiatives to people. Brendan says, The Amish community seem to have a great way of living, minus the religion, but it works for them. But the Amish are very religious, Brendan. Are they not? The, the Amish would be Bible-quoting people now. But uh, from what I understand, anybody who's ever been to spend time with Amish people in Pennsylvania or anywhere else, but it's mostly Pennsylvania, they say, these people, there's nothing like them. Um, watch Kingpin. It's brilliant. Great documentary about the Amish community. It's wonderful. Presented by, by Bill Murray and Randy Quaid. Very, very good. Kev says, this is true, Richie. When I was 15, me and another fella went around town collecting for MS for our school. We collected a couple of hundred quid. On the way home, he said to me, let's kick the bejesus out of each other and say we were mugged. I laughed, but he was dead serious. I gave my money to the school, says Kev. You're some liar, Kev. You kept the money. Don't be lying to Uncle Richie. And Robert says, it depends on the people. My sister and I ran a law company with 56 staff for 20 years. It ran without problems as we ran it with the motto, rules, no rulers. We worked alongside the staff daily and it ran like a community place. No one took days off as they knew their colleagues would be overworked. Interesting, Robert. Sounds like a co-op. Co-op's a great idea. Great idea, co-op. We've seen some of them. Every now and then we see a co-op. There was a... Michael Moore made a documentary and he visited a co-op where a group of people in Michigan, I think, they ran a bakery and they did have a boss per se, somebody who had skill in running a company, somebody who had a bit of previous and he could deal with, you know, the accounting and managing the staff and one thing and another. But he only got the same share out of the business as everybody else. It would have been a Michael Moore program, a documentary made after the, the, the obviously staged recession of 2008, the crash, the manufactured crash. Michael Moore made a documentary about people getting turfed out of their homes, didn't he? Uh, people who had fallen behind on their mortgages. And uh, as part of the film, I can't remember the name of the film, he visited a co-op where everybody got the same money irrespective of their role in the business. So you had bakers, you had packers, you had cleaners, and you had the guy, at the t not at the top, but you had the guy who had the responsibility for kind of holding it all together. And he got the same money as everybody else. And he was happy as Larry. He was as happy as Larry. I'd love to know if that bakery is still doing business today and if it's still baking scones and what have you. It probably is. I like that idea, you see. We all do the job. It sounds You're going to say it sounds like communism, you're going to say. You're going to say it sounds like communitarianism. I'll tell you what it is, dear listener. It is genuine dyed-in-the-wool socialism. We all control the means of production. We work really hard to make the bakery successful. We get as much sales as we can. And at the end of it, we all take home a decent wage. We're all in it together. We're in it together. See, I like that. But I know I know some of you will disagree with me. You heartless bastards. So it's got to be somebody in charge, you see. That's how it works, right? Isn't it? No? Right, I'm nearly going to take my leave of you for today. And say, um, it's been a busy week. And say that I'm back with you this coming Monday at 5 o'clock for the Richie Allen Show. But the other show, uh, Sunday Morning Melodies, will be live on air this coming Sunday at uh, 10 o'clock UK time, 10 o'clock UK time. That is a laid-back programme with, um, with um, old school music and a 
nice bit of chat and it's very relaxing if I don't mind saying so myself. So that's it for today. Thanks for listening to the programme. Thanks for participating in it. Thanks for all your comments. Have a fantastic weekend. The BBG leaving you with this from Al Jarreau and saying you take care of yourselves and one another. Until next time. I left you with some food for thought there, didn't I? We'll get into that on the phone in next week. Is it possible for parallel societies to work? I'm not so sure. Bye.